Welcome back to the Mana Burnt podcast, everyone. We're here with Horror Part 2. Yay! This is episode 12 overall as well. And uh, we have the same gang back from last time. We have myself and Lily, as always. Sup? Hello. As well as we've got Michelle, Tasia. Hi! And we've got Mike. And joining us for the first time in a while, we've got Nick from Australia. Hey. Hello. So, we're talking about horror. What are we talking about within that? <laughs> Alex's favorite topic, obviously. Um, <laughs> well, you know, since last time, I've been, well, I said I had delved into some matters. I've, I've been looking into some things. And um, one of the things that I've actually been exposed to, not so much out of my own um, choice, but more because it was on the TV whilst I was doing other stuff, um, is the series um, Fear the Walking Dead. And um, obviously, I know that we touched upon this last time, but the thing that really got me out of, out of all of it, more than the actual zombies infected, whatever, did we ever actually clarify which terminology were we using with all of these different beasties, zombies, infected, walkers, whatever? Maybe, maybe that's something that we could clarify today. Um, <laughs> But, you know, one of the things that really got me thinking, it was a lot of the things you guys were talking about, how usually it is the humans, the ones that actually bring in most of the horror into the uh, narrative rather than the beasts itself. It almost looks like the, yeah. the, the walkers are kind of just hanging there, almost like, you know, part of the scenery more than anything else. And everyone else is, is doing this horrendous stuff to each other, which is, is quite mesmerizing and hideous at the same time so um yeah if, if we could maybe clarify what all of this terminology is about and where it comes from and why sometimes they are one thing and another because i quite frankly don't really understand the difference of some of them <laughs> and and why is it that you know regardless of what the horror theme is unless there is some form of big bad the human always does worse then um that's that's something that i i really wanted to pitch on to you all guys so just opening the floor, so feel free to jump in. Well, I think um, I haven't seen Fear the Walking Dead, but I have um, read delved um, quite a long way into the you know many years of the Walking Dead comics. Of and one of the things um, that struck me with uh, the comic book series was particularly when you come up to the Negan and the you know War in the Wasteland story arc is how much the the zombies, um, the walkers, had become a uh, structural problem rather than an antagonist. It hits the point, I guess, for um, their particular mode of horror that in The Walking Dead that the zombies are just kind of there and everyone knows what zombies are and how to deal with them and so forth. And the real problem um, soon becomes... How do we address and how do we deal with humans in this this new world? So that's 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 also an issue in, in the actual Walking Dead themselves, rather than just the. I can't never tell whether Fear the Walking Dead is a prequel or a sequel or whatever it's supposed to be, but that's that seems to be part of the main narrative, right? That you know, a human human in the new world is is almost just as scary as. The, the zombies themselves or or even more so scary i guess yeah 
Sorry, I was going to say definitely in the comic book series, um, by the stage that you you are dealing with, Negan, um, zombies are no longer scary. Everyone knows what zombies are. Everyone mm. knows how to deal with them. And there's very clear kind of, um, you know, tactics and methods that everyone who has survived by that point uses and utilises to avoid them. So it's almost like, um, you know, oh, we don't have to worry about the zombies. We can go back to our McDonald's now or, you know, have our happy communities. Yeah, they definitely seem to just turn into a part of the environment after a certain point. So so it, it becomes for, I guess, the series still to function on, on the level of horror that um, there needs to be a new element introduced and um, humans seem to be the source of horror at that point. Um. I was just gonna say, say, I'm not a huge fan of Walking Dead. I mean, as a, a genre, not particularly the comic or the film, uh, the TV programs or whatever. But I think with any horror, when you make the whatever the horror element is, be it zombies, vampires, whatever, so prevalent, it you lose the specialness of the horror, in my view. So I think that's when the human becomes the the more terrifying. Because frankly, we we see humans do horrific things. Yeah, day in, day out on the TV news. Um, if you look back to some of the earlier vampire movies, and I'm thinking specifically things like Lugosi's White Zombie and uh, Hammer's Plague of the Zombies, they were a tiny, tiny threat in number. Mm. And I think when you've got that, the enemy, whatever it is, outnumbers humans to that degree, and it's absolutely right, you know, the, the, the human characters, unless they're absolutely brain dead, will find ways of dealing with them to become almost routine. And you've then got to throw in a non-routine threat, which probably becomes Negan or whoever. I wanted to say what uh, Mike, I think, said about the the zombies becoming a structural part. Structural part is really interesting to me because they do, after a while, they've become part of the landscape instead of yeah. really the the threat. And I just thought that was really insightful. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very much what came across when I was watching this. I, like I said, I was really just half watching it. I was I was just doing crafts and um, James uh, was watching it on TV whilst he was doing research. Apparently, when you're doing <laughs> Roman research, people, uh, having The Walking Dead in the background is really inspiring. Don't ask. <laughs> I, I really don't understand it myself. But, okay. um, you know, I was just kind of half watching it. And... Uh, uh, for starters, half of the time, the camera, the camera, the um, the camera and and the scenes were really on the humans. So, in in a forty-five minute episode, maybe you get five minutes where you're actually seeing some beasties going like ah, and losing, <laughs> you know, bits of themselves. Which I thought, I I thought this was about you know, <laughs> the infected somehow. But it it really gives me the impression that you know, like like you guys have been saying, they are just there's no difference between a zombie and a tree it's pretty much <laughs> the same thing so it's it's really interesting how we've kind of taken that to that to that next level and i wonder if if that is you know just uh, because of like a part of the conversation before the actual recording started was you know the current mood of the world right now is everything seems very bleak and whatnot and at the end of the day it's just humans doing these bleak things so i don't know if maybe that's the reason why or maybe because 
like Mike was saying, you know, once you've had a monster or uh, a vampire or whatever it is after a while, things, well, I mean, you know, everyone knows what a vampire is. Everyone knows what a werewolf can do, a ghost, whatever you want to call it. We all have our preconceived ideas of, oh, no, bad you, stay away from it. So uh, maybe they just become so cliche or we are so aware of them that, you know, the human psyche will always be much more unpredictable, perhaps. I don't know. I think there's that element, but there's also the, and I'm afraid I'm going to quote Lovecraft again about the most strongest fear being fear of the unknown. And I think when you have whatever the protagonist, vampire, zombie, werewolf, as you say, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what we know about them, but if the characters opposing them don't know the abilities, the ins and outs of the legend, mm. whatever, then their fear is so much stronger. Mm. But I think when you've got something that's become mundane by sheer weight of numbers, all the characters know what they can do, what they can't do, how to defeat them, or whatever. And I'm afraid at that point, it loses the horror for me. Mm. Um, Let's say Walking Dead of whatever variety of flavor aren't my but you know I've tried to watch the TV series and I've seen Romero films etc. Um, and it, it's the sheer weight of numbers that is the only thing that brings fear, and I find that kind of I suppose almost disappointing. And, um, I was actually going to say something uh, very very similar, and I think when you do have that sheer weight of numbers um, that um kind of i guess commonality of the of the encounter um that over a, on a structural level um over a successive number of seasons it does very much become increasingly mundane and you need to um either have an expansion or an increase of the horror in some way um i think if we're talking say zombies um and the walking dead kind of franchise um a great contrast is the way in which um, and I'm not necessarily saying um, a good contrast because I actually kind of watch it like a slow train wreck. Um, the Netflix series Van Helsing, um, oh, which, God, presents, yeah. which presents a vampire apocalypse, but unlike The Walking Dead, unlike um, when it hits that point that vampires are quite common, it creates a new rationale to be scared of vampires. So at first, oh, there's lots of vampires. Then, oh, the vampires can walk in the daylight now. Oh, now we have David Bowie, Glamrock, Dracula from a parallel dimension. Um, and that kind of bizarre kind of expansion from vampires are real to vampires can walk in the daylight to um, the vampires. A vampire is, or Dracula is the president. <laughs> okay. I am so glad I didn't make it that far into that. I just hated it. Yeah, same. I gave up after the first season. I was trying really hard to get into it, but I just escaped me altogether. Um, Michelle and Tasia, what do you think it's um, your your point of view on, on this particular topic? On the Van Helsing TV series? I haven't watched it. Or, oh, or just just in general, the 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 commonality and, and mundanity of of zombies and vampires, and why we end up having to just find something else, I guess. I think it there are so many there are so many different types of zombies and different types of vampires, but like they all have these similar. Uh, 
this like it's almost like I I I just I agree with what everyone else is saying. Like the commonality, the tropes, just kind of it doesn't make it boring, but it makes it like you know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So it's predictable. Then that's yeah. what we're all saying, right? We know we know what the deal is. So, but one trope about in zombie fiction that I do really like, and that can still bring a type of horror into into at least one episode is when one of the one character gets bitten and another character who cares for them very deeply covers it up uh, okay yeah. right yeah <laughs> and and then there's that horror of oh my god someone's brought this other back into the safe place mm -hmm. which is i don't know like that i think that's i think that's I guess you can see uh, horror from two perspectives there, from the risk of that, plus the horror of the having your loved one be basically doomed as well, and a loved one becoming the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but uh, from that perspective, then Michelle, because this is kind of your jam, isn't it? Is it the fear of the loved one becoming the other, or is it the the fear of crap there is something horrible now inside our our safe lives or is it both because i think it's, it's gotta be both you know i i haven't kept up with the walking dead i i kind of gave up on it I'm not uh, and i think <laughs> the that you guys are saying like it it there was some mundanity and predictability to it and maybe that's not true because i i haven't seen recent seasons of it but um, one thing that, I mean, this might completely off track us from zombies. That's fine. Uh, but one thing that I've been noticing is I've been reading a lot of recent, like 2018, 2019 horror fiction. And I'm seeing this trend of invasion um, right. of some other. And it can be zombies, but it's not always. Sometimes it's like the devil or a lot of, I mean, there's there's a, a book called, um, what is it called? The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. And it's, it's a retelling of The Little Red Riding Hood. Mm -hmm. And it's an apocalyptic scenario where there was some sort of invasion or, um, or almost like it, it plays like a zombie apocalypse. But again, you don't see the zombies, you see the people and how they react to each other. And then you find out, well, like sort of a spoiler alert, they're probably otherworldly zombies. Right. Like so it's not man-made anymore, this infection. Usually the infection for the zombies is something that humans have done, Terry. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's becoming extraterrestrial and it's really fascinating to me. Hmm. I, I like that idea of the invasion being the what drives the horror and actually i mean that that crosses over to many many tropes in, in horror but but sci-fi as well right right like, yeah. you know um and it all makes me feel that that the common theme there is is this whole conception of apocalypses or you know some form of horrible disaster that then creates these 
after world, I guess, or whatever we want to call it. Um, because, I mean, now that you've pointed it out, you are right. The more and more that we see these, I mean, ideas everywhere, you know, completely desolated landscapes and then something else has happened and something new has come in, whether it's different humans or monsters or, you know, whatever. I mean, I am I'm a very big fan of um, the Rooster Tooth series called Ruby. And the entire premise of, of that entire series is not necessarily horror, right? It's a, it's a Western anime where some teenage uh, uh, girls and, and boys are saving the world from the grim. But the concept of the grim is itself very similar to what you're suggesting. It is something completely unnatural that I will, again, no going to spoilers because we're, we've just finished a very hardcore season and I don't want to disappoint finds out there. Um, but you know, these, these monsters, the, the grim are essentially, they, they have the shapes of any type of creature or monsters that you can think in fantasy, right? Like bears or uh, dragons or whatever, and they are all black. And then they have scaly bits in black, um, red and white. So, you know, it's, it's always that sort of, you know, edgy, dark coloring. And they are all created by this very, very powerful source of, well, I guess we could say evil, which is Salem. But Salem at her own time is, is not necessarily human. She's some form super powerful, crazy sorceress of doom. So she's creating these beasts to bring down the, the, the normal running of society as we know it. So she can spread these other type, other type of life and make it common um, through suffering. The, the grim feed and suffering and, and bad emotions, which is actually what makes them terrifying because unless you're happy, happy and joyful all the time, they could you know, technically turn up everywhere. And there is an episode, not in this season that's just happened, but a couple of episodes, uh, a couple of seasons back, which really got to me, which is um, a type of grim called the apathy. And the apathy are essentially um, these uh, grim creatures. They're like humanoid shape. And then they have this sort of white skull uh, or mask, whatever you want to call it. And these type of grim are, um, they feed on people's emotions to the point that they they just will suck all of the energy and all of your feelings out of you. Um, and what makes it terrifying is that, and this is a small spoiler, um, it's not really a big, big grand point, you know, in, in the entire um, thing. So it's not like you will be missing out by knowing it. The, the reason why they encounter them is because um, someone in a village decided to bring these grim in to keep everyone quiet down so they wouldn't attract any other type of grim and their lives could carry on in like normal but the more the apathy could feed on you know everyone else's lives the more everyone else started being lifeless and therefore they well they all died um but i just thought that was hideous like that thought of having these thing leeching the life out of you kind of to keep you quiet and subdued and being again forced in by someone else i'm a member of the community supposedly for your own good that that generally gave me the creeps and it made me feel really really scared which is not something that show has ever really done because like i said you know in any other you know uh, episode it's all quite relatively lighthearted following a very sort of anime type of style but that 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 idea really really didn't unnerve me 
Um, and it, it, the interesting part is that these creatures, again, they were human-like in, in terms of shape and everything. So it made me wonder, why are these, you know, creatures humanoid again, you know, resembling that other, other us or other beings or whatever it is, instead of being the more monstrous type, like, you know, a dragon or a slime or a snake or whatever it is? <laughs> is it because we know that, you know, dragon bad? <laughs> or or because um i don't know they just, yeah exactly um so it's it's quite interesting that idea of the invasion um it definitely sounds like horror to me yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you you're not into horror but that's like i mean you've even got like emotional vampires in there yeah yeah like yeah, pretty much that that type of thing. Um, but you know, it's um, it is interesting that you are saying this seems to be now a common trend in horror. Um, and I don't know if that actually represents the the current sociocultural tensions or political tensions that we have in this mm -hmm. day and age. I mean, we are seeing without wanting to get very political here, right? But we are seeing the rise of um, racism and xenophobia and the far right in many many places across the world is is that fear of other cultures and peoples coming into our lives what may be driving these type of narratives mm. or you know what what you were describing there you know it could even be the fear of that you know political change you know well, some people yeah. might think you need to let a little bit of it in just so they stay calm mm. um but you shouldn't, you know, that could cause the problem or the problems to be there. I mean, I mean, it's very possible. Um, I've seen several accounts of like uh, the the book Dracula representing um, fear of technological advancement and fear, and I feel a a lot like whatever it like the. Um, Whatever horror is being written about has a lot to do with the society that the horror is is being written in. All right. Yeah, absolutely. I think you could say that about pretty much any fiction. Well. Um, as much fair. as some might like to deny well, it. Yeah, I guess it's it's escapism. You could you could blame it on on escapism, I guess. But um, yeah, mm. Mike, what were you gonna gonna add to that? I was just gonna suggest with the. The anime you were talking about, which you must admit I'm completely unfamiliar with, so you'll be unsurprised I can't comment on that. But I wonder if it's almost a parallel that people think personal freedoms are oh, now yeah. being eroded. And you know, almost governmental control is becoming more overt and more apparent. Which, you know, I think no, nobody wants to feel that Big Brother is watching you, but it does feel that Big Brother is getting closer and closer. Yeah, that's definitely where my brain was going when, when Lily was describing that. Yeah, but then again, that could, I guess, symbolize this idea of the invasion, right? It's an invasion of the of life as we know it, of our private lives or yeah. everything else. Um, so it's maybe yeah, that that makes that makes sense. That's that's a very interesting that's a very interesting take. Um, but in any case, now that I've brought you know different types of 
things into the play. Can someone attempt to clarify for me <laughs> what are all of the different names and types or why do we, you know, why do we need different types of vampires and zombies? Does it matter? Is it just purely artistic license or what, what, what are we dealing with and... here? Anybody mind Go if I take a shot at um, I'm, to, not to labour the point, ancient and have seen this happen so many times. And I think it's a case of having gone through the 60s horror movies and 70s and the rest of it. People think, oh, we've seen vampires. So we'll call them kindred. It's cooler. It's hipper. Yeah. We've seen zombies since the 1930s. So we'll call them walkers or shamblers or whatever. And I honestly think it's it's advertising. It's a rebranding that we'll put stripes on the side of it. We'll give it a cooler name. We'll give it a logo you like the look of. And it's not the old thing your parents used to go and see. Yeah, I honestly think it's just a case of let's make it look hipper or sound hipper or mm. something like that. I definitely think there's, um, and I agree with Mike, I definitely think there's an element of, you know, trademark coming in there because, mm. um, you know, who doesn't love money? Um, but at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, um, there is an element there of making the, I guess, the creature of horror relevant to um, that particular narrative. And in that particular narrative, um, you know, um, refining it, I guess, or redefining it in the context of that one for that one's um, particular kind of set of rules um you know essentially allowing the horror creature to be um i guess uh defined for that particular story and what it can and can't uh do um thinking about um the recent i guess um adaptation of dracula um from the uh who um were they uh what else did they do from the guys who did sherlock you know, um, I'd seen, um, you know, Dracula control wolves before, but I'd, I'd never seen a middle-aged naked man jump out of a wolf skin before. <laughs> um, that was that was um, quite a shocking, shocking moment, but it allowed um, the character of Dracula, who, you know, of course, being defined in everything from Stoker's novel through to Castlevania video games to actually say, this is our Dracula, this is what he can and can't do, and this is how we'll use him in our particular narrative. And it gives, um, I guess, the, both the author and the audience the chance to experience um, a whole nother world. Um, you know, in my own mind, I don't actually see a lot of difference between horror and fantasy. I see them as very closely entwined. And in terms of world building with horror, just like you, with fantasy, um, early on, you need to define the rules of the world. And I think renaming the monster um, allows you to do that. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you, Nick. It's it, And it also gives you a chance to play with different types of things, like zombies. Like, um, was it the mushroom heads from The Last of Us? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, instead of uh, things like it instead of things like the walkers or whatever and like having them be called walkers um 
means that they are limit tells the audience that they are limited to a slow pace rather than like oh I don't know it was it Daisy I'm not very good at zombie fiction I'm afraid <laughs> uh, like twenty eight days they're, oh, they're yeah, quite the speedy weren't they from twenty eight days yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I think that being able to expand and explore different types within the genre within, uh, within the type of monster if you know what I mean like it's almost yeah, like a yeah. genus and then it's like a species if you get what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, I hadn't thought about it that way but that makes sense uh, rather than just telling oh yes this there is one type of zombie they can do one type of thing like like Nick said hmm. yeah I guess just trying to have a bit of variation um, even if it is kind of rebranding a very similar thing often. Um, I I do like the uh, the tendency with some that you saw in, in more recent years to try and explain these supernatural things in a more scientific way and calling zombies infected or whatever, and then having it be some sort of parasitic disease that controls a dead body rather than being magically resurrected undead. So it, in that way, maybe they're trying to make it a bit more scary because it feels a bit more plausible in a way. I'm not sure. I think there's definitely an element of making it more scary and more plausible, but that's also a reflection of contemporary culture. And I think in the kind of rebranding the monster kind of process, reconceiving the monster, um, that process allows you to target the kind of horror you're specifically um, talking about um thinking here about um i don't know if anyone's read the novel paul verval's um vampire city which came out a number of um years before stoker's dracula um his vampires are very specifically an industrial horror um they're clockwork creatures that wear human skin and their fangs are syringes that are designed to um suck out your blood and oil your ge- oil their um industrial gears so that their steam engine can function oh, um yeah oh, and it's very okay. much reflective of um the experiences of the early industrial revolution mm, and kind of loss of autonomy and identity that was going on concurrently at the time Interesting. I mean, that so sense. I have another kind of addition to this. I love what you guys are saying about the the branding and the trademarking of the zombies, but um, I also wanted to like bring up sort of this nerdy scholarly historical fact. Um, I don't know. You probably know this, but um, zombie actually came from voodoo. Yeah. Um, in Haiti, and. They they spell it in the Haitian word is Z O M B I, um, and it it basically has two meanings, which is either one a person who dies without ever having possessed a spirit, or two the living dead. And in voodoo, what they would what they would do like way back, you know, there's actually this great movie called I Walked with a Zombie in the 1940s. Um, but a zombie actually referred to someone who had a voodoo spell cast on them so that they would become mindless servants. Hmm. So like- there, zombie works for all of it, but I think you're right that like we're calling them walkers or whatever it is. Uh, it's just a reflection of the culture, but it, ha- it does have that historical connection to it. 
So uh, from what I'm understanding here, then that that origin has to do well with obviously the way voodoo magic and and ritual works then. So it's it's a ritualistic and almost sacred function in a way. Is that yeah, well, getting it, that right? It, I I would yeah, it is sacred, I mean, for for the practitioners of voodoo, but yeah. um it, zombification would always occur in Haiti in the lower class citizens, like the peasants and the laborers. Mm -hmm. And they were usually the slaves to some successful farmer. So once again, we're coming back to the idea of social political tensions, right? Brainwashing. This is essentially yeah. Yeah, brainwashing, but through supernatural means. All right, that's interesting because yeah. you know, to me, uh, and and again, this is probably my own background. But when I think of a zombie, and I think of you know a normal zombie, I think of uh, what people from the Middle Ages and antiquities saw as zombies, which were people who had died and by supernatural means have come back to life, like the the, the Viking Draugur or uh, you know many other types of, of examples that we have through history and that yeah. to me that's what a zombie was a half decomposed body to whatever degree that through means unknown to mankind has just come back to life usually either the spell of someone who is seeking revenge or to utilize them for any particular means or because um, as a human being they had unfinished business and this is their way of exercise their own revenge or you know haunting wh whatever type of version you want um so it's it's quite interesting how that um how that has moved moved on and obviously you know if, if this has uh, a connection to to voodoo i wonder if there may be also a, a root connection there with obviously the exploitation of black african and, and black caribbean cultures um and and if that maybe rooted that idea of zombification from that point or if that was already something imbued in that in that culture before oh, slavery, you know, became a, a known issue. It's it's more that just the word itself, like you were talking about how to label these mm. monsters. The word itself has its its root in voodoo, but there's some type of zombie in almost every culture in the world. Like mm. I mean, in China, there's you know, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Jiangxi, I think. I'm terrible with that. But um, yeah, there's there's types of zombies, but the actual word zombie comes zombie. straight directly from from Haiti okay. and from voodoo. Interesting that we decided to go with that than anything else. Well, I guess it sounds yeah. cool, zombie. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's it's interesting though how. I think maybe a bit less so, but with vampires, there's a similar thing where a similar sort of monster comes up in various different cultures. And with dragons. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We have our big flying Some. lizards <laughs> and, and our blood drinkers and our walking dead. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the staple, isn't it? I guess. You know. So there must be something instinctual about some of these fears. It's actually interesting I mean, about. Yeah. Sorry, what's um interesting about the I guess the um the the voodoo zombie is um as a historical entity. Um, while we're talking about how these fears reflect current politics, um, mm. the historical voodoo zombie is actually 
became inexplicably linked to Haitian politics um, mm. under the um, presidency of, and I apologise, I can't pronounce French names very well, Francois um, Duvalier, otherwise known as um, Papa Doc, who mm. um, ran a dictatorial regime in the um, 60s, I believe it was, um, through fear of voodoo, fear of zombification and his own kind of personalised um, version of Haitian mythology. So there's kind of a almost a real-world um, zombie political connection there. There's also, if I just pick up, uh, Lily, you mentioned about the link with uh, a sort of black underclass almost in, ha yeah. Haiti, in Haiti. Well, I, I wonder purely, you know, um, the historian hat on me, but yeah. No, no. Uh, the the first uh, vampire movie, or certainly the first feature length, is one I, I mentioned earlier, Bela Lugosi's, and it was specifically called White Zombie, which I think the title alone implies that there is something unusual okay, yeah. about a zombie being white. Hmm. So I think that film in itself is acknowledging that we've come from a, a, a different culture. I mean, I, I'll be honest, it's got to be 30 years since I saw the film, and I think it's Bela Lugosi has come back from uh, Haiti and learned voodoo and then starts practicing it in America. But I, I would be happily proven wrong after all these years. Hmm. But it is this. I, I wonder if, and obviously I don't know, if when it was first shown, 32, 34, something like that, if there was almost a shock value with the race clash. Or some cultural of, appropriation, maybe? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah, well, there's certainly that there. Uh, but I also wonder, with America still being segregated mm. in a lot of places, the, the idea of taking, and the pun is not intentional, but <laughs> black magic, and bringing it into, into threatening, I think it's a white woman, is the main target. If that was actually deliberately intended to bring some racial horror into yeah. it as well. In that period, yeah, I could see that. And then again, I love how these conversations become cyclical sometimes because we're coming back to the thought of, you know, the invasion, the people, you know, the people that are coming from outer space or from our own societies that are the, the other. And that's, you know, I think Michelle said this on the first episode, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that the concept of horror is essentially all steaming from that. that everything that is not it's us and them, isn't it? I think that's more or less how you put it. And everything that doesn't fall in the us is them, and therefore the them is is scary and causes confusion and, and turmoil amongst the us, otherwise labeled. Uh, and also, um, I keep coming back to what Tasia said in the first episode about how horror is also a practice in empathy. Mm. And so when we are confronted with the other, it's about how we can empathize with the other and with those around us who are who are not other, but but part of the non, I don't know, non-infected, if you want to mm -hmm. use that word. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, that this exercise in empathy that deals with horror. I'm glad you did, because I can't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's interesting because um, I wonder if if I don't know if it has something to do with psychological or sociological processes. But then again, you know, if if there is a common element that makes more than one person scary, 
like, you know, being scared of the dark or whatever. You empathize with someone else because that's something that, you know, everyone has fears, right? There is no single human being out there that is completely fearless, no matter whatever <laughs> they may think about themselves. Everyone is terrified of something at the end of the day, you know, it, it's just how things are. So I wonder if that just comes back to root us, you know, deep down as, as humans, um, coming back to that sort of link with other people, this empathy, you know, of, of the shared the shared trauma. Ah, this is it. This is reminding me. Um, I don't know if you guys have been following Stranger Things, but there is oh. there is a line in the last season, I think it is, again, no spoilers meant, but there is there is a pretty hardcore process that happens in the last last um season and uh, it means, you know, some people going their own way. And I can't remember which character it is. I think it's Jonathan. And he says, you know, we have shared trauma and that bounds people together. So I think that probably has a lot to do with this emotional empathy that you guys are talking about. Have I gone dead? <laughs> no, we're just thinking so deeply. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm pretty good at bringing bringing the deep feels and thoughts into the conversation. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's it's something that now that you guys have said, it's just you know, it's just pointed me to that one reference of the shared the shared trauma. And again, a lot of horror is is that trauma, isn't it? Because if you survive a zombie apocalypse, it's because you didn't die, and your mate next door maybe is now a zombie. Um, and the same with a you know vampire. Maybe the person that uh, became a vampire is someone you know. I mean, it's so it's all about that sort of uh, relatability to people, I guess, or or experience um, of the world. And also, that like, what is going to be your actions and or reactions to that shared trauma? Yeah, absolutely. That is really so, really fascinating. You know, in on that on that train of thought, and this is probably something that. Um, well, I don't know. Michelle, have you ever heard of the um, RPG or, or any of the White Wolf RPGs um, that are set in the world of darkness? Don't get mad at me, but no. No, no, it's fine. It's just I know everyone else in the I know everyone else in the in the room right now does. Um, and if if you have some spare time, we should definitely introduce you to that because I think you'll love it. But um, this this whole idea, I mean, that's that's essentially, um, you know, the the experience of shared trauma and how those actions shape you is the entire concept of the vast majority of the games that White Wolf did as a franchise. Not just World of Darkness. I mean, uh, Vampire: The Masquerade in particular is very prone to lead you to experience your own horror story um, as yeah. to you know what will become of you. Um, once now that you realize you're a vampire, now that you've been living as a vampire in the world as a while, and it's yeah. the same with all of the other um, with all of the other uh, lines. I mean, for those of you out there who may not know this, again, I'm preaching to the converted here because I know that Mike has been playing vampire probably, uh, you know, for all of the hundred years that he's been alive himself as a kindred. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nick has his own campaign as well, and and Tasia has played with me and and, and Alex. Alex had the horrible experience to uh, have me as his uh, first DM of Vampire the Masquerade with some pretty, <laughs> I'm not a good vampire. With some pretty awful <laughs> consequences um, onto <laughs> his character. And that the, you know, whether you're playing vampire, werewolf, 
even mage, which perhaps is a bit more on the lighter side of the story in the world of darkness, maybe depends how you play it, I guess. Um, even hunter or changeling, you name it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's all about that, you know, how you are an otherwise ordinary human being who now has uh, brought uh, to to known the fact that actually either you are not ordinary and you are some form of monster, whatever, or you're perfectly ordinary and everyone out there is out to get you because everyone else is a monster um, mm. or a magical evil creature of doom. Um, it's it's a very, very interesting game. And I think, I mean, obviously everyone, the problem with RPGs is it, it all comes down to whatever you want to take from the game, right? So yeah, the experience can vary, exactly. The, the experience can vary from player to player. But the best experiences of running and playing any of the games in the franchises have been when th that shared trauma, whatever trauma may be, uh, depending on the background of the characters, actually gets the, the narrative moving um, mm. and how the characters and the players end up reacting to it. And it's quite interesting, I think. I mean, yeah. someone else I, can give their own opinion on the subject. Well, I always think of the first time you introduced me to it. Um, and, you know, I'm not a huge horror fan or, or fan of vampires in particular, but it was it was quite interesting to me how it was still, like, horrifying and, and scary, even though you're playing as one of the monsters. Um, especially the way I played it up, being a very, like, self-hating vampire um but it's interesting to see how other people react to filling those vampire shoes and and some are more happy about it than others but if i could just add for michelle's benefit uh, as you know i already gathered that uh, you're not familiar with the world of darkness i'm gonna guess that you are probably familiar with um uh, nancy collins who wrote sunglasses after dark no but now i will be oh Please do make yourself. I think you'll love it. It was um, a kind of it won, I believe, two Bram Stoker Awards on first publication. Um, a modern day vampire novel that was almost present day vampires with a sort of cyberpunk sensibility, mm. um, set in present day America. And it's widely believed that it was a book that inspired the World of Darkness role playing games. Okay. But she particularly became on very good terms with the people behind the game. And she actually, the protagonist throughout her original vampire trilogy is a woman called Son Sonia Blue. And she did actually specifically write a novel for White Wolf, who did the role playing games, with Sonia Blue inside their world of darkness. Oh, nice. And I, I would strongly recommend you try uh, Sunglasses After Dark. It's, uh, I would maintain there's only three good vampire novels in that one. <laughs> And he knows what he's talking about because you know he's <laughs> added it himself. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do appreciate that the time is getting near. So if I am allowed, um, the man that according to him has never anything to contribute <laughs> to the conversation, um, I would really love it if you all took a few moments to hear to uh, Alex's horrible, horrible experience of horror on his own skin through uh, him playing vampire. A, because it makes me smile that I made someone so terribly disgusted with themselves. 
<laughs> and horrified, and B, because I think it would really sort of, um, his, his entire character experience really haunts him with a lot of the things that we've been talking about. And I, <laughs> I think, you know, considering that he feels a bit um, sorry for himself when we talk about these things, because... Uh, <laughs> because <laughs> he doesn't feel like he has a lot to contribute maybe this way um he he will, oh, no. he will bring some form of closure so alex would you mind if you um oh god i you, think you remember it all better than me though <laughs> yeah but but it's much more fun when you bring it from your own personal point of view then i can adorn the story you know i, I can i can tell everything from the point of view of the dm but it loses <laughs> it loses parts of the magic if the if the oh. player itself doesn't really express how how horrible this ordeal was. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I vaguely remember when when you first introduced us to uh, to Vampire the Masquerade at, at university. Yeah, I decided to just join in, even though I wasn't terribly interested in being a vampire. So I chose the ugliest vampires. So I thought yeah, that for, was for context for everyone else. <laughs> appropriate. The, um, the clan he decided to go to in, again. Uh, Again, this is probably helpful for Michelle, but everyone else listening out there. Um, in Vampire the Masquerade, you have different clans. Um, again, you know, this comes with the labeling of vampires, zombies, whatever. You know, each vampire may be different and, and fancier because they have um, different aspects. And in this particular case, in Vampire the Masquerade, the clans, um, uh, the differences between the clans have to do with this, the social political background of the vampires, but also with their special superpowers and, and disciplines that they've, they've acquired through their embrace. And Alex chose Nosferatu, which, according to the rules, are just ugly. Like, they, they don't have an appearance score. They're just ugly as in, period. Um, no matter how hard you can try, a Nosferatu will always look like something has just run over it with a car or a truck or something really, really horribly. They're incredibly disfigured and just ugly in general. <laughs> and there you um, go. That's, that's a background context for that. You can carry on. Yeah. And I remember, I, I very vaguely remember how it, how it went, but when we first started off, we were all kind of waking up and discovering that we had been turned into vampires somehow. Is that right? Correct, yeah. That, that you were, they, were all, they were all, um, they all woke up in the same room, having no recollection whatsoever of what had happened to them for the last however many hours, um, with a stench of blood all over the place, and um, not really knowing who the hell was the other people in the room. And this is a very yeah. common setting, particularly for people who are not aware with the RPG to get you started into World of Darkness, because, well... Yeah, it's a good start. Pretty scary. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I I think, like I was saying before, a lot of people sort of just embrace the fact that they're a vampire. Like, they're like, oh, cool, I'm a vampire. I can do these powers <laughs> and things now. Whereas I, you know, thought, how the hell would I react? Um, and I was basically just horrified at myself. Um, and just incredibly scared and sad and avoiding everyone, um, especially considering I was like the ugliest person in the room as well, <laughs> which doesn't help. Um, and yeah, I spent the most of the entire time just trying to become human again and discovering if that was possible. Uh, like to the point where I can't really remember like most of the story in the middle. Because my character was basically trying not to get involved in vampire politics, because he didn't want to be a vampire. Um, and then, yeah, in in a roundabout way, I eventually got my wish of not being a vampire, and then that turned out to not go particularly well either. 
<laughs> because um, Alex's character managed to make really good friends uh, to someone who used to play uh, Vampire with us, um, who in this case was playing a Bruja, which are the uh, sort of anarchs um, of the of the team. They are very politically vocal and they like causing trouble and whatnot. And um, as as Alex was literally uh, receiving his his gift of of actually becoming human, um, his friend decided, nah. That's that's not cool. He had supported him all the way, by the way, I would like to point out he's his best friend. Again, we have the example here, right, of someone who is your friend, your buddy going through this with you and going like, yeah, OK, fine. You know, we'll find you. We'll find you a, a way of sort it out and stuff. <laughs> and, and as he's. Well, I get the feeling, though, that he was his character was just using mine for his strength and just being a bit of a useful. Well, that's that's probably useful <laughs> and, and true as well. But yeah, as, as Alex is like, you, I could almost see it little spark in his eye thinking, oh, thank goodness, this has ended. And um, and Bob, I think the other character was called, goes around and says, yeah, oh, I, yeah. Pick my, I pick my uh, gun and I shoot him in the face. And, yeah. um, and Alex's character dies, just like that. As a human. And um, from that moment know. on, he decided he wasn't going to play this game ever again because it was a horrible, well, horrible I saw, game. I, I did a little bit, but yeah. It was pretty horrifying, um, and I'm, you know, I'm sure it's not the most unique vampire story ever, of just like a tragic vampire who wants to become human again. But you know, I'm sure someone has an example of one like that. But, yeah. um, my mind instantly went to the Canadian TV series Forever Night. Oh right. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if any of you guys have encountered some such a sad sad story <laughs> like Alex's <laughs> in this type setting but um I think that represents that you know the the emotional shock of actually someone mm. who who is experiencing their own horror quite mm. quite well because you know otherwise in any other RPG Alex always plays the paladin no matter what he will tell you he always plays <laughs> the paladin which means he's good he's caring he always fix the problem and he never does anything wrong with his life ever so <laughs> Well, obviously, sometimes. obviously, telling him, yeah, you know what, you're a hideous creature of the night. Go kill some people, um, or something. Uh, he he genuinely struggled with that concept, um, <laughs> and and it was um, you know it was quite fascinating. Again, going back to the to the entire point of what uh, Michelle and, and Tasia were saying of the you know the the emotional bond. What fascinated me of all of this is that not a single person in that group of people that were playing the game with Alex were able to understand why he was so upset about the fact that he was a monster. <laughs> Everyone was like, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm immortal. I'm going to go wreck some shit up. And here was Alex like, oh, no, my God, what am I going to do now? Um, and it was just, I had never had that experience. Does that tell, does that tell us some, something about most people who play this game? Well, I, <laughs> or or how much people experience horror, I don't know. But it's I, I found it interesting because never at any point had I seen a development like that. I had had games of vampire and other games where people have gone down a particular path and they thought that was cool. And then, you know, a few games after reality has come to bite them back in the ass and they've realized, crap, um, this is actually quite serious or quite scary. And then they have had the emotional reaction maybe you know things maybe got a bit too real and then they are reacting to it but never ever have i seen 
a reaction like this, you know, everyone else going like, yeah, okay, cool, awesome. And Alex being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> I'm a vampire. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I, I always find it fascinating, that particular case scenario, because <laughs> if, if I've ever seen in this particular game, you know, a personification of someone experiencing their worst nightmare and horrors, that, that was definitely... Alex and his Nosferatu trying to crawl uh -huh. through a campaign um, with grief in every single time he had to roll a die or talk to another person or anything. It was it was just like the world was going to end. And I, I hadn't <laughs> even done anything to him by that stage, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you made me a vampire. <laughs> well, so... But I mean, what? it obviously got very heavy. And then my next vampire that I played uh, was just like a joke. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, he was a, a vampire with a Kiwi accent, um, and I still say that the the uh, the uh, guys who made um, what we do in the shadows stole that idea from me somehow. <laughs> so I did it before then. <laughs> in my last vampire campaign, I I've been really really blessed with good players, and because I think Lily Alex would agree with me that you need players that can really buy into it. Absolutely. Um, I, I I ran a campaign set in Leeds, which is an hour away from me, and I actually took the guys up there and drove them around and pointed out various landmarks and things and really familiarised the people. But one of the things I, that I did, I gave them a very sympathetic non-player character who helped them out a lot, who was a, apparently a young woman, early 20s. And then after about two or three years of play, um, she was a pianist who played in a local club, and sort of thing. And uh, they were in the club, and an elderly man turned up and was in tears because he'd recognised his little, little sister who had gone missing in the sixties. <laughs> and it was quite amazing to watch the reactions from three grown men who were completely and utterly out of their depth <clears throat> as to know how to react to this. That yeah, you know, they wanted to help their friend. But at the same point, their friend was going through emotional turmoil at having seen her younger little brother, who was now way older than her, apparently. And I really wasn't prepared for the kind of impact that one little encounter had on the entire campaign. Did that completely derail this story in any way, shape or form? I'm just wondering. Oh, right. Not, not at all. Um, we carried on with the campaign up until, to be honest, one of the players disrupted irre irre irrevocably and then left the area. <laughs> but uh, not my fault, I want to say. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was one of those great campaigns where we played for probably five or six years and could go for an entire evening without rolling dice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are good ones. Um, oh. Yeah. And uh, we, it was very much based on human emotions even within the undead if that makes sense so i tried to give everyone understandable motivations for what they were doing mm. even if sometimes those motivations were a lot more emotional than you'd usually see in role-playing games yeah there were no big heroes there were no, no there was nobody there looking for the fight to steal the gold yeah it's a good campaign i'd really like to restart yeah, nice well, I'm not sure you're not going to convince Alex to do that, so I'm afraid we can't <laughs> help you there. <laughs> I don't know if you, Nick, have had any experiences 
like this, like the emotional type of horror through. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the current campaign I'm running, um, we're running it with the new fifth edition rules um, set um, in uh, Ballarat, Australia, which um, to explain to people who don't know, it's kind of like it's the most appropriate town, A, because we all live there, um, and B, it's kind of like Transylvania um, in down under. Um, it's in a valley. It's dark. It's misty. It doesn't matter what the temperature is in any other part of the country. Um, we got snow one November. Um, so always, it is always obscenely um, cold and weather-wise unpredictable. Um, and nearly every building in the town is heritage listed, so there hasn't really been any significant new construction done since the gold rush. So everything is in this wonderful Victorian um, architecture, and the town is riddled with illegal gold mines that and shafts and sewers and things that kind of um, run around it at a weird um, zigzaggy um, method. So uh, case in point... Um, in the block over from the house I'm currently living in, um, they, attempt, they the owners of the block found out they couldn't build on it because um, when they attempted to lay the foundation, they broke into a mine shaft. Oh, so wow. very, very appropriate for vampire. Um, so in the current campaign, um, there's been moments of personal horror for each of the players. Um, one of them found out he had both enemies and a herd and he couldn't figure out why his enemies were becoming more active the more he engaged with his herd until he realised they're actually the same people. The oh, vampires are bringing him other humans that he's feeding on. Um, and he had this kind of moment of personal attachment, but at the same time there is bitter kind of enemies and he doesn't know whether to engage with them and not. And he's got that kind of dilemma going, another one, um, his character was turned into a vampire by his paternal grandfather. And he's had the moment of finding out that his paternal grandfather actually is using him for political motives. Yeah. And so that kind of familial bond has been disrupted. But I think the moment that struck me most um, with their own personal horror is um, that you know, last week we were kind of getting ready to play and one of them turned around and said, Nick, this is actually, um, this is too heavy for me this week. <laughs> and everyone kind of agreed, like, yeah, we've all had these kind of personal moments of horror and we're still processing last week's game and the week before's and the week before that, <laughs> that we don't actually know where to place some of these emotions we've been dealing with. So... Could we please play Dungeons and Dragons for a week? <laughs> wow. No. Well, I guess this kind of wraps up nicely in the sense of, at the end of the day, from what I can see, um, humans is the worst type of horror that we can inflict <laughs> to other humans, right? Um, yeah. I don't know how all of this craziness sounds to someone like Michelle, who's probably thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> Talking to these people. They're yeah, mentally kind of traumatizing each other. <laughs> yeah. I, I think can't I'm, help like, I'm already too much of an emotional wreck to like put myself into that situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it, it, it hits you and it hits you hard. Um, but you know, it's um, it's it's something quite uh, well. It it also reminds me of um, I don't know if if Tasia would like to share, but um, 
the, the character that you essentially just decided, nope, not going to do this anymore, and just sort of killed off? Um, which one was that? <laughs> Isn't, didn't you have a um, character that because of the way the narrative had gone, you just literally said, nope, I'm just going to go full oh, on armor yeah. into the lake? Oh, yeah. Um, it was with a it was a, with a Dungeons & Dragons campaign that Lily wasn't running for once. Um, <laughs> well, Lily wasn't DMing me for once, and um, uh, basically, it, we were going to go into this huge siege. We were there were nine of us, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of soldiers. M my character basically was not prepared to to go and die. On the on the front lines, and she she said, "Okay, I'd rather do it this way. I can't I can't live through this, so I'm gonna go out my way." Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that was <laughs> it. Was it was a it was a per, it was a personal horror in its in its own way, hmm. but um, also a, a I hesitate to say taking the power back but it was what my character saw it as yeah well i mean yeah uh, war war is a traumatic experience right or or yes so, oh, so we believe i don't think i don't think anyone in in this particular room has had to go through the experience of warfare sort of you know hands on but yeah i mean i suspect that you know in in context that would make perfect sense. <laughs> this is not going to end up well. I am not ready to let myself be killed by whatever is coming that way. I'm uh, I'm just going to call it quits right now, guys, um, and be done with it, which is, is terrifying in its own right, because you've made the conscious act of, nope, nope, can't, can't do, won't do anymore, and yeah. um, just decided, and uh, this is how, how we go. The so, thing is, the, the DM that had made it clear that none none of our characters were going to live through this. Mm. So it was a it was a conscious decision on my end to be like, right, my character she was chaotic to the end. She was like, right, nope. Nope, I'm not gonna do what you want. Frick that <laughs> um and and go off into and went off into into the sea, which you know, as far as dramatic melodramatic deaths goes, is pretty hardcore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah, I am sure this is not what you were expecting to hear when you tuned in today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, the more the more I think about it, and and the more that we've had this conversation since last podcast, the more to me. From an understanding point of view, the, the, what makes what makes the horror so real is that the personal personal attachment, the emotion, and, and the feel, um, and and the empathy, being able to either relate or not relate to what someone else may be going through. And I think is that a a that relatability what is making maybe these these stories of zombified and invasions and whatnot so popular these days because it's something you know so many people can can buy into right but also i think it's you know when when you have a good horror story and maybe this is the reason why all of us or 
all of you guys who are actually quite into horror have not tuned into this type of um into this type of series or, or comics whatever is is what makes you decide nah you know what i'm not interested in this anymore this is no longer about about that emotional roller coaster or whatever you want to call it or you know actual horrifying experience because i want it to be a horrifying experience i'm still not entirely sure how i feel about this you know about exposing myself to something that i know is genuinely going to emotionally wreck me like like michelle said i'm too much of an emotional wreck myself to let other things like that you know um come and take over my my feelings and emotions um but it's um i i definitely i definitely feel since talking to you guys this is this is now how i understand horror now don't think yeah it's anymore because I find it distasteful. I think it's maybe because it puts me in touch with things I may not necessarily want to think about because I already think about on my own. <laughs> so I don't want the extra prod. And and that's the reason why it's it's never quite sit comfortably with me, which is fair enough. So thank you for being so insightful and for ruining my life <laughs> and the way I perceive all of these narratives. This is great. Great chatting to you guys. Always always with these wonderful contributions and values. Yeah, good job. <laughs> right. Um, I think that is probably all we have time for today, unless anyone wants to add anything else. Awesome. Well, um, that's uh, that's a wrap. Thank you so much, guys, for for actually coming in for uh, a second part of this one. I think this is actually the first official second part of uh, yeah, it is yeah of a podcast. So um, unexpected. Yeah, well, well done for actually uh, bringing the underdog, I guess, into into the the forefront <laughs> of, of part two, and um, I hope to see you all, some of you, on the next one. Right. Well, that's a good night for everyone. Night for me. Bye. 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 See you guys.